All right, well, I'm certainly looking forward to that. Uh, I heard about it the first time you did it for the academies. My wife was there, and she said, oh, you, you should have been there. And I thought, well, I guess I missed my chance, but I did. Well, as Pastor Jim mentioned, I, he asked me to pick up our series now as we continue in James. And I was assigned four and a half verses. So if you open to James chapter 3, we'll, we'll get there in just a, a few minutes. But as we, as we resume now here in James, it was actually a good breaking point because he's really starting a whole new discourse from what the first two chapters dealt with. And it's for the next chapter and a half, really, he's dealing a lot with the tongue and our speech and some warnings about that. And as I was thinking about the tongue, um, earlier in my career, I spent 15 years working in zoo education. So I learned a whole lot about tongues, animal tongues, and you can probably think of some unique tongues uh, chameleons can shoot their tongue almost twice their body length to snag an a insect and pull it in. Maybe you've seen time-lapse photography that shows that happening slowed down, or there are anteaters that have tongues that are two feet long, and they can pump them in and out 150 times in a minute, slurping up termites and ants. Anybody have dinner yet? Um, <laughs> so that, that's pretty fascinating. And then even Big cats like lions, tigers have rasp-like tongues that are very coarse and they can strip the fur and feathers off of their prey and even scrape the meat off the bones with their tongues. If you have a cat you might, and your cat ever licked you, you probably got a little taste, a little sense of that. Uh, not quite the same scale as a big cat. But as fascinating as some of the animal tongues are, none, none, no creature has a tongue or has a tongue quite like we do that God gave us this bundle of muscles that are innervated to give us the ability to con- uh, have very complex, concise speech that we can communicate. So there are animals that make different sounds and parrots that can imitate speech a little bit, but they're not really understanding what they're saying. Uh, the key message, I think, take away from these verses that we're going to look at together is that believers, particularly those who teach, those who have responsibility for other lives, uh, have to control, excuse me, control their speech because uh, the tongue possesses a really oversized power for good or evil uh, because of the way that God created us. And this passage, it starts out um, talking about teachers and as we look at it, and then we're going to talk about the tongue, but it's primarily positive. And the speakers that come after me in the next few weeks, they're going to get the negative things to talk about. So I'm, I'm feeling a little better about that. Uh, the, the tongue is a very powerful, a positive thing, and that's why believers like Annette can take their gift of speech, their gift of uh, communication, and take God's word and apply it to hearts in ways that God has, has gifted them. Uh, I was thinking about positive uses of the tongue and we won't go through all the Old Testament, but just a few examples. Pretty early on, we come upon Moses. And what did he say when God said, I want you to go to Pharaoh? He said, I can't, I can't speak. I can't communicate like that. But God got a hold of his tongue, and he used it eloquently for the next 40 years, leading the people of Israel through the wilderness. Then we have all the prophets, uh, just one example. Samuel in Second uh, Samuel 23 said, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. So he used his tongue for God's purposes. David talked a lot about the tongue. In the 20, 35th Psalm, he said, My tongue shall tell of your righteousness 
and of your praise all the day long. Now, when you read the Psalms, you'll also see a lot of other negative tongues about the tongue of the wicked says such and such, but there are many positive examples there. Of course, we know in the end, uh, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So even those evil scoffers are going to have to use their tongue to glorify God. So with that brief introduction, let's look at uh, the first two verses together, and I'll read these. uh, James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body." Now, there are some that say because James is talking to specifically teachers in the the first part of verse 1, that this passage really just applies to teachers. So the rest of us who aren't public teachers, we're off the hook. But I think we know from other scriptures that talk about the importance of our speech that that's not the case. And even some things that James says in this passage, really it will broaden out. It's true, however, that those who do have um, the opportunity to teach others have a really grave responsibility in how they use their tongue. Luke 12, 48, Christ said, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. So the greater responsibility comes with greater obligation and also possible condemnation. In James' day, uh, there were a lot of teachers. Teaching was a very prized position, a responsibility, and many people aspired to become teachers, some of them for the right reasons, uh, but many times for the wrong reason. They had the wrong motives. We still see that today with some televangelists who take advantage of their ability to speak for wrong motives. And because the apostles and prophets and early evangelists were constantly on the move, like Paul going from one city to another, some places he was there for a year, some places he was only there maybe a month or two, it was really the the teachers that remained behind that had to ground those new believers and had to disciple them. So they had a very important role in that. And in Paul's letters, especially, especially, we read a lot about the wrong kinds of teachers, just a few samples. We, we know a lot about the Judaizers who were trying to teach and put those new converts back under the Old Testament laws. We also read about um, those whose lives contradicted their words. They were false teachers. There were those who were after material gain and wanted to, to take advantage of people because of that. Some who pandered to their audience. Some who were weak in the faith and not ready to teach and were trying to teach. So there were a lot of warnings to teachers that we read in Scripture. But uh, the greater strictness that teachers will be judged with reflects the fact that the tongue has a great power for good or evil, and it's important for us to be aware of that. Uh, that's what I really appreciate about, our, appreciate about all of our pastors here. When they stand in the pulpit, you can tell that they spend hours preparing the words, the phrases that they put together, their thoughts. They're not just looking at a passage and saying, well, this is how I feel about it, or this is what it means to me, or here's a funny story that goes along with that. And we've probably all heard sermons like that in our lives, if you've been in church any time at all. But uh, they are very careful about comparing Scripture to Scripture, bringing 
God's word to focus for us. And if there are cases where it's not real clear what that passage is supposed to mean, as Annette was saying, there are things John didn't understand and things that we still struggle with, and it's not just in Revelation that that happens. Uh, our pastors are very careful to say, this is what I feel, or this, it could be this or this, and this is how I interpret this in light of some other things that I've read. So they're not trying to say this is how it has to be. So that, that carefulness, I think, that careful handling of the text reflects their recognition of the importance of teaching and preaching and handling God's word. So as we looked at these first two verses, you'll notice that in verse 2, halfway through, James says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says. So here he's talking about speech, and many people who have studied this believe that this is where the doors kind of open up a little more. So now it's not just focusing on teaching. He starts out with teachers, but anyone who has, shares God's word with other people, they need to be very careful about what they say. He also says that we all stumble or sin in many ways, and that certainly includes teachers. And Pastor Jim, in his message this morning, made that very clear, that don't assume that your pastors standing up here are any different than you. We struggle with the same kinds of sins, and we need you to pray for us that we'll remain close to God in in our lives. But our speech is, I think, one of the most obvious ways that our sin is revealed. And all of us probably would admit that. Our impatience with people when we're driving or our ascribing motives to other people comes out through our tongues. Um, there, there are many ways that we sin, and we, can, we reveal the sin that's in us with our tongues, but also in our tongue we can sin, and it leads us into more sin through what we say and what we hear. So as he talks here in verse 2, he says he's a perfect man. James doesn't believe in sinless perfection. But what he's saying here is a person that can control his tongue is focused on that perfection, that holiness that we're all supposed to be striving after. So if you can control your tongue, he's saying, that's a great leap forward toward that sanctification that should be the goal for all of us. And... When James wrote this epistle, I think what, why teaching was so important is it was almost exclusively oral. So here we just assume you've got the Bible, and if you have a, a, a tablet or a phone, you might have 10 different versions of the Bible at your fingertips. You certainly have printed versions. You may have 10 Bibles scattered around your house, but then very few people read. So to hear God's word, somebody had to read it to you. Somebody had that ability. And so that's why public speaking was so critical and why there was such a, a high obligation for those that were doing that. The, the misuse of the tongue today, I think, has gone far beyond somebody standing up in front of a Sunday school class or teaching a, a, a new believer that they're discipling due to the, the way that we use technology. So anybody with a, a smartphone and dumb fingers uh, can put anything out there. And it may be in a a forum that is um, a religious forum, or it might be something totally secular where they're putting their opinion about there or or flaming somebody that they happen to disagree with. And so it really multiplies the reach of the tongue. It's not just a person they're talking to. It's anybody who reads that and people have never even met them that are a friend of a friend of a friend that see that. 
this week I was on Facebook. I wasn't entering anything. I tried to avoid that. But I was reading a post that a Christian brother had put, and it was very timely. He, and he posted this. Think before you say or post something that is not consistent with a Christian testimony. It's as easy to lose your testimony on Facebook as it is face-to-face. And I thought, well, that's, that's pretty apt. But then as I thought more about it, I didn't really totally agree with him because I wouldn't say it's as easy. I would say it's much easier to lose your testimony just because of the fact that how widely that message gets distributed, how permanent a post can be, and also how things are often read out of context when you're reading on a screen versus watching somebody's face and hearing their expression, etc. So going on, uh, verses 3 and 4 now, we're talking about the power of the tongue. James says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So Paul is using two very familiar objects uh, that have small things attached to a much larger object and showing the control that they have. So a horse, a massive, powerful horse being controlled by a tiny piece of metal, and then also a giant ship and this rudder that can turn it all different directions. So the point he's making is that even though our tongue is one of the smallest organs in our body, it has an oversized impact on our testimony, our reputation, and the potential impact that we can have for Christ. Christ says in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our tongue really shows what's inside of us. And people can live lives of sin and hypocrisy for years, and then, but eventually that is, that is going to come out. So I, uh, one commentator I was looking at was saying, James' analogy here of a bit and a rudder, uh, both of those have to be controlled by somebody, the rider of the horse or the captain of the ship, and the wheel is attached to that. And in the same way, uh, we can either control our tongues, uh, humans through our brains control what our tongues do, or we'll, have to, we'll be letting our tongues control us. And that's a very dangerous situation. Uh, the last verse that we'll look at here, verse 5a we're only going to do the first half. James says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now, in our, in our vocabulary, boasting is normally seen as a negative thing. People that are boastful, we, we don't like to be around them, and we're not supposed to boast about ourselves. But boasting can be neutral, and it can be positive. Uh, the psalmist exclaims in Psalm 44, 8, in God have we boasted continually, And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 said, we need to boast in the Lord. So boasting is not necessarily wrong. And in this, I think in the context here, it's beginning to make that turn. So the tongue does boast. If we're controlling it through the Holy Spirit, hopefully we're boasting in the right things. But there are people who boast in the wrong things. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to see how the tongue often boasts negatively. So as we conclude here, at the beginning of the, this brief message, we saw that, that James was addressing teachers specifically. Not many of you should become teachers and warning why that is important. But even if you take the position that all of this is directed to teachers, the reason I said we're not off the hook is that all of us fill the role of a, a teacher in some way. At least we should. Uh, if you're a parent, and I see a lot of parents out here, you're a teacher. At least you better be. Uh, If you are a believer in Christ, you also have an obligation to teach. 
Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then the very next word, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So as Christians, we are to be teaching each other, helping each other to learn God better. If you, care, if you care about the Great Commission, and I think none of us would say we don't care about the Great Commission, we're also supposed to be teachers. Matthew 28, 28, 20, in the middle of that, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So none of us can say we're not teachers. We are. You might not be an assigned teacher of a class, or you might not be assigned to bring a message or give a devotional, but all of us are teaching in some way. So James here, as we finish, he's not trying to convince us that teachers are under such great responsibility and obligation that you better be careful, you better not talk at all. That, that would make teaching impossible. He's not saying silence is better than speech. Uh, he doesn't mean that we should go off to a monastery or a convent and take a vow of silence and, and never say another word like you've heard about. Uh, one, one commentator I read, William Barclay from the mid-20th century, he said he's not pleading for cowardly science, silence, but for a wise use of speech. So as a, a final challenge, a question to you, let me just ask, um, as we look forward to this week and what God has before us, how can you use your tongue for God and for good this week. All of us have a tongue that we can use. All of us have people that we're going to influence. And it's up to us how we control that tongue and what we do with it.